been a great privilege to wrap the series of the five solos up uh, this morning with the teaching uh, that salvation is by uh, uh, or unto the glory of God alone. My name is Joey. I'm one of the elders here at Summit Crossing. If it's your first time with us, um, I'm not the one who does this every week, but we believe wholly in a in a uh, plurality of elders and shared ministry among uh, among men of God, and so occasionally we have different people come and preach the word uh, to you, so that we're not captured by a personality, but rather we are captured by the glory of God and the teaching of His word. And so uh, this morning we are wrapping up a series that we've been in now. This is uh, week number five, as we've been going through. Uh, what's traditionally called the five solas. Just a side note, I think it's um, somewhat uh, uh, ironic in my mind that <clears throat> that um, one of the things that, that spawned the Protestant Reformation, of course, we're looking at the five solas because this past October was the 500th anniversary of, of Martin Luther tacking his 95 theses on the door of the Wittenberg Church that spawned the Protestant Reformation. And so uh, in, in remembrance or, or commemoration of that 500th anniversary, we're looking at the five solas. And one of the things that really spawned this reformation was, uh, you know, Wycliffe and Huss that came before him who, who taught that the scriptures ought to be in the common language of the people. And, and those of us who are Protestant, right? And, and who, uh, understand the history and we love the Protestant Reformation, we're, we're always talking about these five solas. And I don't quite understand that. You know, we'll say, sola gratia, sola fide, solus Christus, solideo gloria. We'll say things like that. But, but in reality, our whole point of the Protestant Reformation was that the Scriptures were supposed to be in the common language of the people and not in Latin. But the five points of the Reformation, we always say in Latin. I don't know why. And so I I want you to hear it this morning. That salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as revealed in Scripture alone, and unto the glory of God alone. We've already heard four sermons uh, in the previous weeks about those previous four in my task this morning is to conclude the series by explaining why our salvation truly is unto the glory of God alone. To do this, we're going to be in various texts this morning. So uh, I think some of them will be on the screen. I know some of them will not. Um, So you might want to grab a Bible and be able to turn with them or at least some notes and write down some some things so that you maybe you can look back later in your missional community group. You can look at some of these things together and really contemplate uh, the glory of God together. And so we're going to be all over the place this morning. But the last time I preached, I had the honor of preaching on, on deacons, and it was a topical sermon. And I began that sermon by telling you that, that topical preaching is a little bit different and that really when you study a topic, you want to study everything that the scriptures have to say about that topic to be able to faithfully expose the meaning of the text of scripture related to that topic. Well, we're not going to be able to do that this morning. Okay. I was not able to do that in preparation for this sermon either. 
Because to do that in the subject of the glory of God, we quite literally would be required to cover all the text of all of Scripture all together at once. Because it really is all about His glory. So we're not going to be able to touch on everything this morning. I wasn't able to touch on all of it in preparation this week. Uh, Hopefully, by God's good grace, my mediocre attempt will do a little bit of justice to be able to exalt the glory of God in our minds uh, this morning. So I'm going to start with four reasons that salvation is not unto the glory of mere man. Ready? Four reasons why salvation is not unto the glory of mere man. If you've been listening the last few weeks, you might know what they are. Four reasons salvation is not unto the glory of mere man. First, salvation is not unto the glory of man because salvation is by grace alone. You see, salvation is the work of God's grace as we learn in the book of Galatians where he basically says that he has called us out according to his grace that our his his grace is this idea that there was nothing good in us no value in man no inherent value that caused God from the foundation of the world to look through the annals of time and say yeah I like that one there was no inherent goodness no inherent value in man, when Adam sinned, we all fell and took on a sinful nature. And therefore, nothing good in us caught the eye of God, as it were, to cause Him to desire to save us. No, His desire to save us is motivated purely out of His mercy and compassion and grace. Salvation is by grace alone. Therefore, it is not into the glory of man. That sovereign work of adoption from the foundation of the world was due to the unconditional grace of God. Number two, salvation is not unto the glory of man because salvation is through faith alone. I think you know where this is going. Salvation is not unto the glory of man because salvation is through faith alone. You see, in our day, a lot of times salvation is taught, it's taught that salvation is based on your response. If you just respond in the right way, if you just believe the right thing, if you just say the right prayer, if you just walk the right aisle or go to the right church or get baptized at the right time, any of these things are are said to be the response to the gospel. If you just make the right decision, salvation is through faith alone. As we learn In Ephesians 2, we've already read that scripture this morning that that salvation is by grace through faith and this not of of yourselves, but it is the gift 
of God. No decision of man is able to save you. We learned that already a few weeks ago, and I'm not going to preach that sermon, but the the truth is that our faith, the very thing that is the proper response to the gospel, that is faith and repentance, the Scriptures tells us is a good gift of God. And so salvation is not unto the glory of man because salvation is through faith alone. Salvation is not unto the glory of man because salvation is in Christ alone. You see, the other thing that we think about in salvation is not only if I just make the right decision, if I was just wise enough, if I was just uh, smart enough, if I just responded in the right way, we also think sometimes that salvation is because of works. That is, if I do the right things, if I read my Bible, if I pray enough, or if I don't do certain things, right? If I stay away from this sin or I stay away from that sin, the church teaches, it seems, that these sins are worse off than these other sins. So if I stay out of these sins and do enough good things to my neighbor because I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself, if I can do all of those things, then salvation will be mine. And yeah, it's because God's working in me, but it's because I'm working for it as well. And so we salvation gets taught this way. But we learn from Romans that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We also learn from Romans that no one will be justified according to the works of the law. These things are in the Scriptures. We cannot work to earn our salvation. But we also must understand at the same time that salvation is based on works. Did you hear that? Did I say that out loud? Salvation is based on works, but not mine. Salvation is based on the work of Jesus Christ, and not merely the work of Christ on the cross, but the work of Jesus Christ throughout His incarnate life as He fully obeyed the law and the prophets, as He fully fulfilled all prophecy, as He fully obeyed all commandments. You see, Jesus in His earthly life was perfectly righteous in all aspects and his work earned glory and because his work earned glory and he gives us his work then the salvation and glory that we receive is not based on the work of man but based on the work of christ when god the father looks to us in eternal judgment he sees the righteousness of his son and grants us all the glory due to his son because of his son salvation is in christ alone and therefore salvation is not unto the glory of man also salvation is not unto the glory of man because salvation is revealed in scripture alone you see salvation is not based on any authority of man this is one of the things that the protestant reformation was teaching right that there's no authoritative man that can prescribe salvation 
either prescribe the works for salvation or grant salvation. There is no authoritative man that can do that. There is no authoritative government that can grant salvation. And throughout our history of the world, there has been uh, governments who would mandate certain religions, right? And this is the religion of our country. And, and our own heritage is not uh, innocent of that either, right? In our own heritage, we have the idea that the government would prescribe religion. That's why people got on a boat and sailed to the new world, right? And so throughout the history of the world, there have been different nations who would prescribe by the authority of government, this is the religion you shall follow unto your salvation. But salvation is not in accordance with any authority of man. It is in the accordance of the authority of Scripture. And there are no other writings in this world that are make, able to make you wise unto salvation. As Paul says to Timothy, that he's, you remember that, that famous verse that we talk about all the time, that the Scriptures are God-breathed? We even talked about it when we talked about Scripture alone. The Scriptures are God-breathed, right? And able to make you, I mean, and they're useful for uh, correction and training and righteousness and all that. But what came right before that in in uh, Paul's writing to Timothy was the fact that these scriptures are able to make you wise unto salvation. The Word of God alone is able to do that. This is why when I hear people talk about their story, and we do this in missional community a lot, we talk about our story of salvation, and we we you know I love to ask the question, you know, how did you how did you come to know? Jesus? How did you come to understand the gospel? What happened in life? And you, you're all kinds of beautiful stories and they're so uh, unique and different across uh, everyone. It's just a beautiful way that God works uh, uniquely in the lives of his people. It's a beautiful prism. But I'm always anxiously listening for the role the scriptures played in that story. Always listening. How did the Word convince you that you were a sinner? How did the Word convince you that because of your sin, you deserved the holy wrath of God? How did the Word convince you that despite that sin, Jesus Christ came and lived perfectly, that He might take on your punishment in your place and absorb that holy wrath of God and give you righteousness in His death and resurrection so that you might be able to stand before that holy God in full confidence in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. How did that happen? How did the Word convince you of these truths so that you could rest in Christ for your salvation rather than struggling to continue to work for it yourself. That's what Hebrews chapter 4 tells us. We enter into a holy rest. What role did the Word play? I'm always looking for what role the Word played because only by the wisdom that the Word of God brings are we able to be wise unto salvation. Do you see that through Grace, it is a gift of God. Through faith, it is a gift of God. Through the work of Christ, it is a gift of God. And even through the sovereign work of inspiring the Scripture so that we might be made wise of these things, it is a work of God. 
Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and as revealed in Scripture and alone. And therefore, salvation must be unto the glory of God alone. Salvation through and through is a work of God. That is a mind-blowing concept, especially to 21st century Americans. Salvation through and through is a work of God and therefore is unto His glory alone. Those are the four reasons salvation is not unto the glory of man. Now let me give you three reasons. I could go on and on if I wanted to, but let me give you three reasons why salvation is unto the glory of God. This is where we want to go to Ephesians chapter 1. So in Ephesians chapter 1, Beginning at verse 3, we have this glorious picture of Christ that's presented at the beginning of this book. He kind of lays out the foundation for what he's going to do in the whole book of Ephesians. Uh, But I want to point out three things in Ephesians chapter 1 that teach us that salvation is unto the glory of God alone. And I'm going to use this Trinitarian formula to do so. In Ephesians chapter 1, we'll just start with verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will. Look at verse 6. To the praise of His glorious grace. So, so far, what we have seen is the work of the Father, we'll say, from the foundation of the world, before creation began, before He said, let there be light. He says in in verse 4 that He shows us in Him at the foundation of the world and that He did so that we might be holy and blameless Before him. And how are we going to be made holy and blameless before him? We're going to be made holy and blameless before him through Jesus Christ, his son. And so all of this is done according to his will. The Father determining all of this before the world begins. Therefore, it is to the praise of his glory that salvation and the whole scheme and plan and the wisdom of God that is displayed in the work of salvation as determined before the beginning of the world is unto the glory of the Father. Let's keep reading. Verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood. We're talking about Jesus now, right? The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will. You see how God is the one making known this mystery according to His purpose, again, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things in earth. Verse 11. In Him, this is Jesus, We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Again, it's Him doing all of the work according to His will, verse 12, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. 
So why did he do all of this? Why did Jesus do all of this work of obtaining an inheritance for us? Why did Jesus do all of this work of lavishing upon us grace? Why did Jesus do all of this work of redeeming us through his blood? In verse 7, because so that we might be made to the praise of his glory. That's what the scripture says. Verse 12. All of the work of the Father before the foundation of the world, planning salvation to the praise of His glorious grace. All of the work of Christ in accomplishing salvation is so that we might be to the praise of His glory. Now, verse 13. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth. Listen, did you hear that? It's based on the word of truth. It's when you hear the Word, because salvation is revealed in Scripture alone. In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. So all of the work of the Father before the foundation of the world in planning salvation was unto His glory. All of the work of the Son in accomplishing salvation was so that we might be to the praise of His glory. And all of the work of the Spirit applying this work of salvation as, as a guarantee of our inheritance is to the praise of His glory. And so salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, is revealed in Scripture alone. Therefore, not unto the glory of man, but unto the glory of God alone. And the work of the Father in planning it is to His glory. And the work of the Son in accomplishing it is to His glory. And the work of the Spirit in guaranteeing it is to His glory. Salvation is unto the glory of God alone. More than that, Scripture just outright says it. I could go to a myriad of places in Scripture to show you this, but I'll just go to two. One that just says it straightforward in Psalm verse chapter 3, verse 8. It says, Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Therefore, your blessing be on your people. And then the other place where Scripture just pretty much straightforwardly declares that salvation is for His glory, is in Isaiah chapter 43. It's a beautiful text. Isaiah chapter 43, beginning at verse 22. Listen to what he says about his people, Jacob and Israel, and how he describes them. He says, Yet you did not call upon me, O Jacob, but you have been weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me your sheep, for burnt offerings, or honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with offerings or wearied you with frankincense. And you have not brought me sweet cane with money or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices. Listen to what he says. But you have, this is all the things he ha- they haven't done, right? Listen to what they have done. But you have burdened me with your sins and you have wearied me with your iniquity. How would you like to hear that from God? You haven't brought me any sacrifices. You haven't satisfied me with the fatted calf. You haven't brought me any offerings. But what you have done is you've burdened me with your sin and you have wearied me with your iniquities. 
How would you like to hear that from a holy, righteous, angry God? Verse 25. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. Why does he do this? I'm afraid in 21st century American culture, we have begun to think that God saves us and forgives our sins because of who we are. Because of how good we are. Because of how appropriate we are. Because of how awesome we are. No. I am the Lord your God. And I blot your sins. I blot your transgressions. Why? For my own sake. Why? So that the beautiful glory of His grace, so that the beautiful glory of His forgiveness, so that the beautiful glory of His righteousness, so that the beautiful glory of His mercy and compassion might be fully put on display and we might see Him for who He is and worship Him because of His glory. That's why. So that he might be worshipped appropriately. That's why. Not so that we can walk on streets of gold. Not so that this old limp that I seem to have for a year can go away. Not so that cancer can be beaten. Not so that, and you can name them. Not so that I might be made wealthy either. You can name them. Why? For his own sake. For the sake of the display of His righteous glory. And so, praise results. When we begin to comprehend this truth, that salvation truly is unto the glory of God alone, it changes things. And we begin to spontaneously worship Him. Because we've seen a glimpse of his glory. And so this is precisely what happens with Paul. Paul begins writing this letter to the Romans in what we call Romans chapter 1. It's a good place to start, right? So he begins writing this letter and he talks about the sin of man early on in this letter. In chapters 1 and 2 and even in chapter 3. But in chapter 3 he begins to transition and talk about justification and the righteousness of Christ and justification through faith. And he continues to write and he's talking. And then by the time he gets to chapter 7, he's talking about sanctification and becoming more like Jesus. And then chapter 8, he declares, and so there, there is, we are made more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, he says in chapter 8. And, and finally, he tells us that nothing can separate us from the 
the love of Christ. And so he started with this, we are all fallen and none is, all have fallen and we're all guilty, we're all sinful. And by the time he gets later in the book, in chapter 8, he's telling us that nothing can separate us from the work of Christ. And then in chapter 9, he makes this glorious transition because in 1 through 8, he's telling us about about salvation really from man's perspective. In chapter 9, he tries to wrap his mind around salvation from God's perspective, right? And 9, 10, and 11, and it's it's confusing, and it's messy, and it, I, I, it took me two years to even think I had it understood, and I still don't. I don't get it. I don't understand how God can do this because I am a sinner. How can He save me? And so Paul, at the end of chapter 11, after... It's almost like when he was writing, he took a pause. And, and so they had a, a, like a person taking notes, right? And amanuensis is what it's called. And so person taking notes, as he's pretty much dictating, it's almost like he paused and said, wait a minute, read that back to me. What did I just say? And chapters 9, 10, 11 get read back. And then Paul ends chapter 11 with this spontaneous doxology and praise in Romans chapter 11. Verse 33. I pray that this is your attitude when you think about your own salvation. I pray that when you think about salvation, it's this immediate response, just like it's an immediate response for Paul. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor? Or who has given a gift that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. I pray that your immediate response when you think about the depth of the depravity of your soul and the glorious riches of God's grace that He's poured out on us in salvation, that you would respond with, how in the world did He do that? I don't understand. And because I'm not big enough to understand, praise be to Jesus. Glory be to God in all things. But you see, this wasn't just a one-time response for Paul. He had that immediate response as he thinks about the, the doctrine of salvation, but he also had this response continually. And we see it in 1 Timothy chapter 1 as he's kind of opening up this book and getting Timothy ready. And he says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning at verse 15, "...the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost, he says. <clears throat> so you see, he's beginning to think about salvation, and at the same time, he, he begins to think about the depravity of his soul and how unworthy he is and how salvation can't be to his glory because he is the foremost of sinners. He repeats it. He says in verse 16, But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So why does Paul think that he, the foremost of sinners, received salvation? So that Jesus could display his glorious patience and others could come to understand that, yes, God is a forbearing God. And no matter how 
horrible you think your sin is, no matter how far gone you think you are, God's glorious forbearance is on display in the life of the Apostle Paul, he says. It wasn't for me. It wasn't to take me and, and take my story. And, and because my story was so bad and I was so horrible and I was a persecutor of Christians that God, want, God wanted to save me so that I could have this awesome story. No. God saved me so that his patience and forbearance could be on display. You see how Paul's understanding of salvation was wrapped up in the glory of Christ and not on his own. But let's keep reading because then he just straightforwardly says it. It's like he understands this now. It's not for my glory, right? It's, it's, it's for the glory of Christ and so that his patience can be. And in verse 17, he just says it again. He's continually doing this. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. We use verses like that often at the end of our sermons, at the end of our services. But, but in reality, here in the text, it's not at the end. It's, it's just it's at the beginning of the passage in First Timothy. But, but it's just because he's thinking about salvation. He's thinking about how horrible he was and what work God did. Not only what work he did, but how beautifully forbearing he was with my horribleness to even save me. And because of that, he just cries out, praise be to Jesus. At one point in Romans, he says, who can save me from this body of death? And immediately he says, praise be to Jesus. So his immediate praise comes out of this idea that salvation is unto the glory of God alone. Continual praise comes out of this idea that salvation is unto the glory of God alone. And ultimately, of course, eternal praise comes out of this idea that salvation is unto the glory of God alone. Look with me at Revelation chapter 19, verse 1. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for His judgments are true and just. Why were they crying out hallelujah? Why were we praising the Father in all eternity? What is the source of our praise? What is the reason for our worship for all of eternity? Because salvation belongs not to us. Salvation belongs to our God. And His judgments are true and right. Salvation is unto the glory of God alone. And so what are the implications of that? How does that change things? I won't be able to do an exhaustive study on that either, but I've got five things that I want to share with you that ought to change immediately. Number one, because salvation is unto the glory of God alone, Worship begins to focus more on God's character than on man's feelings. Did you hear that? Worship begins to focus more on God's character because that's what we're wrapped up in. Rather than 
than talking about how we feel or, or trying to establish a certain emotion in worship. No, it's just presenting the glorious character of God and we get caught up in that and who cares what emotions flow or don't. It might be an intellectual, just wow kind of worship. It might be an emotional brokenness kind of worship. I don't know, but worship is not focused on the emotions of men. It becomes focused on the character of God. Because salvation is unto the glory of God alone, number two, evangelism begins to focus more on God's work than man's benefit. You see, for all my life growing up in church, I was taught how to do evangelism, right? As if it's something we do and then sometimes don't do, right? I don't get that. I don't have those categories in my mind anymore. When I'm sitting at work and somebody walks in my office and has questions, I'm doing evangelism. I'm doing it by character. I'm doing it, hopefully, at times by straightforwardly teaching the gospel as well. But I don't ever turn it off. But I was taught all growing up how to do evangelism. And most of the time, it was talking about if you don't believe, you get this thing called hell. But if you do believe, you get this glorious streets of gold. Which do you choose? And so we did evangelism as if evangelism is is an offering of benefits to man. No. John Piper wrote a brilliant book, very small book. I mean, it's very thin, but not only is it very thin, it's short too. So, I mean, there's not many words in there at all. You ought to read it. It's called God is the Gospel. Beautiful book. You see, we're not offered benefits and comforts in salvation. We are offered God. the point of his book and so our evangelism begins to work focus more on god's work and what jesus did rather than what we get and when we begin to see what jesus did we fall in love with him by the work of the spirit in our hearts salvation is unto the glory of god alone and therefore discipleship begins to focus more on knowing God than on dutiful, repetitive tasks. How many of you, growing up in church, or, or even now, you think discipleship means I have a list of checkboxes of to-do list tasks that I have to do at a certain frequency? Maybe daily, maybe weekly, maybe, you know, I, 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 okay, I have to read the Bible every day, right? I have to pray every day. I, I have to go to church at least once a week. Uh, and, and missional community group, I'll call that two times a week. I've got to do these things to be a good disciple. Or, or uh, fasting is in the list too. I should do that. And I can't do that weekly. Maybe we should make that a, a monthly. And at some point, you know, the Lord's Supper's in there too. And some have said that should just be done quarterly. But I've got my list, right, of all these things that I'm supposed to do. Memorize scripture would be one. I've got these lists of things I'm supposed to do to be a disciple. Now, don't hear me wrongly. All of those things are good things. Absolutely. However, when they become a dutiful list of tasks that I must repeat, they become ritualistic and empty. And we forget about focusing on knowing God and His glory. But if we'll turn that around, 
flip that, as Jamie likes to say, if we'll flip that and begin to understand that discipleship is a pursuit of knowing God and we get a glimpse of His glory and His truth, then all of those other things just begin to happen because I want to know His glory more. I want to experience His glory more. And I find that every time I'm reading His Word, it comes more alive and I see a little more glimpse of His glory or I see a different prism color of His glory. And so I'm going to go back to His Word again because it teaches me and it gives me life and it fills me up. And and you know what? I'm going to fast this week because I am learning that I am utterly dependent on the father and i'm utterly dependent on his grace and so i'm gonna i'm gonna teach my body that i'm not only dependent on food but i'm dependent on him and his word and so when i'm hungry i'm gonna go to his word instead because the word of life gives all that i need to be sustained and so those disciplines that we call them become desirable activity for the purpose of knowing god when we focus on His glory. A couple of more. Salvation is unto the glory of God alone and therefore prayer begins to focus more on God's purposes rather than man's desire. We begin to understand that all things truly do work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose and therefore when we pray we pray for his purpose and we say things strangely like not my will but yours be done our desires are set aside our human desires our self desires are set aside and the scriptures begin to ring true in that he gives us the desire of our heart and we begin to understand what that means It's not that whatever I desire He gives me. No, it's that He creates desire in me. My desires come from Him. That's what it means for Him to give me the desire of my heart. Not that He grants my whatever I long for. No, it's that He is the giver of my desire. And now I desire His purposes. And so my prayers begin to focus more on His purpose than than on my desire. Because salvation is unto the glory of God alone. One more. Because salvation is unto the glory of God alone, community begins to focus more on shared grace than on shared experiences. I could go on. Not like shared experiences focuses on shared grace more than shared experiences, focuses on shared grace more than shared economic status. It focuses more on shared grace than on shared nationality. It focuses more on shared grace than on, than on shared whatever. Right? Grace that we have received overwhelms any other thing that might bring us together or actually divide us in communities. And that shared grace establishes a God-glorifying community of brothers and sisters who love one another and therefore are seen to be His disciples. And so salvation is unto the glory of God alone. I could go on and on with implications, right? I could go on and on with implications. 
Because you see, once you begin to grasp that salvation is unto the glory of God alone, you also begin to understand that His glory is the central theme of all of creation. And that this single truth has implications for all of life. It's precisely why Paul was able to say to the Corinthians that whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do unto the glory of God. He was able to say that because he understands that because you've been bought with a price, because you've been set apart by His grace, because you have been made His, because you have been adopted from the foundation of the world, because you are His people Everything you do ought to be unto His glory because your salvation is unto the glory of God alone. And just as we might say, and that I have already proclaimed earlier in this sermon, just as we might say that because salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, unto the glory, I'm sorry, as revealed in Scripture alone, that it must be unto the glory of God alone, We may just as well say this. Salvation is unto the glory of God alone. And therefore, it must be by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as revealed in Scripture alone. Father, you are unbelievably complex and glorious. I pray this morning that we have, by your great power and your spirit, have been able to get a glimpse, just a small sliver of a glimpse of your glory in the work of our salvation. And I pray because of that, our worship is made pure and our hearts are turned towards you in a pursuit of knowing you that changes us. And now as we continue in this worship, I pray that you would remind us, yes, of our sin, of our sinfulness, of our fallenness. And juxtapose that to the beautiful, glorious riches of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And then show us him slain. That we might know your glory. And praise you for all eternity. We thank you for your word. Which makes us wise to all of these truths. Tether our hearts to it. Bind our minds to the truths of scripture. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.